Defensive weapons and same-sex marriage. Now, it may not seem like those two have much in common, but for Taiwan, those are both sources of power. I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. A Taiwanese fighter pilot is dead after his F-5E fighter jet crashed off Taiwan's southeastern coast during a training mission on Thursday morning. The pilot reported a mechanical problem shortly after takeoff, fueling concern about Taiwan's aging aircraft. Microsoft has announced its biggest investment in Taiwan in 31 years. It's part of its plan to make Taiwan into an Asian digital transformation hub. The investment is expected to create 30,000 jobs and 10 billion U.S. dollars in value. October 29th marks 200 days of no domestic COVID-19 cases in Taiwan. The country contained the outbreak with nationwide policies like requiring masks and enforcing quarantines. A Bloomberg report says that, quote, Taiwan holds the world's best virus record by far. Out of a total of 550 confirmed cases, only 55 were domestic. Just seven people have died from COVID-19 in Taiwan. A dry summer with no typhoons has left Taiwan's reservoirs at low levels. The Air Force has stepped in. On October 23rd, it loaded a plane with a vat of salt water and sprayed it into clouds over southern Taiwan that weren't quite ready to produce rainfall. Photographers are flocking to a spot in Nantou County to see an unusual autumn spectacle, a waterfall of clouds cascading over the contours of the local hills. Now, in the last month or so, we've seen a huge uptick in the number of Chinese jet planes crossing into Taiwan's airspace. That's right. And this past weekend, we also saw 100 Chinese boats surround a Taiwanese island for the first time. It looks like we're surrounded. Those are the words of a man who watches as more than 100 Chinese boats gather in waters near the Taiwanese islands of Mazu. Taiwan's Coast Guard tells the ships that they've entered restricted waters and orders them to disperse. These ships began to gather in the early hours of Sunday morning between the islands of Nangan and Zhuguang. The Coast Guard informs the ships that they will use water cannons to drive them away. But on Monday, Premier Su Zhentang tells residents of Taiwan's outlying islands not to worry. The government will leave no stone unturned when it comes to protecting Taiwan's territory, he says. From the beginning of 2019 through the end of this September, Taiwan confiscated six Chinese boats and auctioned them off for 5.2 million U.S. dollars, slapping the owners with $245,000 in fines. The government says it will strengthen maritime patrols and apprehend boats illegally entering Taiwan's waters. All this military activity has a lot of media talking about the possibility of war. Is China getting ready to invade Taiwan? It's a great question. And in fact, you asked that of a defense expert, Dr. Li Zhechen, who is from the Institute for National Defense and Security Research. Let's have a look at what he had to say. Dr. Li, do you think that China could attack Taiwan soon? Um, My answer would be no. The first reason is that the airplane they sent to Taiwan's airspace are not on comeback conditions. And the second one is that uh, we don't see signs of uh, massive military uh, deployment or movement, especially in its uh, southeastern coast. I don't think the PLA is really ready for 
the so-called all-out war because we know that if the PLA would like to have a very uh, decisive military victory against Taiwan, they need to launch the so-called um, amphibious assault against Taiwan. But experts in the United States, Taiwan, or even China, they agree that um, for the amphibious assault, China is not really ready yet, and they don't have any serious plan to launch that kind of operation against Taiwan. So you mean they're not ready in terms that they don't have the uh, military hardware or... Not enough. Not enough. They have some, but not enough. Um, Experts say that if we can destroy, say, like 40% of their uh, amphibious landing vehicles, it would be totally impossible for them to finish that kind of operation. Mm. Taiwan has a lot of the beaches that yes. cannot be landed on, right? Mm-hmm. And, and our typhoons. It's very difficult to launch an amphibious attack on Taiwan. Yeah, that yeah. Right? That's Taiwan's natural defense advantage because of uh, the rock coastline in Taiwan. Um, it is estimated by experts say that um, we only have uh, 14 locations, which, which means uh, they have uh, the, the beach wide enough um, to launch uh, personnel against Taiwan, only 14 in Taiwan. And we know that, POA know that, so we have prepared um, for the kind of uh, um, scenario situation. So I don't think it would be easy for the POA to conduct that kind of operation. So when you were talking with him, did you just breathe a huge sigh of relief? Definitely. I'm glad he says he doesn't think there's going to be a war Mm, (laughs) and gave some good reasons for that. Um, He also said that he thinks, you know, the military activity is due to China's anger over closer U.S.-Taiwan ties. Mm, That makes a lot of sense. Now we're going to have this full interview for you on Facebook and YouTube. Uh, Check that out. Now, you mentioned the United States. Recently, in fact, this past week, they uh, started to move forward with another arms package for Taiwan. Let's have a look at that. The U.S. State Department has approved the sale of 100 Harpoon Coastal Defense Systems to Taiwan. The package still has to be approved by Congress. The Defense Ministry spokesperson thanked the U.S. State Department, saying that the weapons can strengthen Taiwan's combat and asymmetrical warfare capabilities. He said they will help upgrade the military's overall defense capabilities. The new arms package includes 100 Harpoon missiles worth 2.37 billion U.S. dollars. This is the fourth arms package that the U.S. has announced for Taiwan in a week. It's also the ninth for the Trump administration. Taiwan is not only buying new weapons, the military is also undergoing combat readiness week exercises. People could see tanks on the streets of Danshui, north of Taipei. The defense ministry said the aim is to use real soldiers, weapons and terrain to train for real combat. Now, at the top of the show, we mentioned how defensive weapons and same-sex marriage are actually both sources of power for Taiwan. But the question is, where do they intersect? We'll have that answer for you right now in Hashtag Taiwan. October is Pride Month, and as one of the most LGBT-friendly countries in the world, Taiwan is not shying away from celebrating Pride. Last year, Taiwan officially made same-sex marriage legal. 
But we didn't stop there. We're still making great progress despite the COVID-19 pandemic. For one, Taipei will be the only country in the world to host a full-scale pride parade since the pandemic began. It will take place in Taipei on October 31st. Halloween! Taiwan also recently hosted the very first Asia Rainbow Ride, a biking event geared toward raising LGBT awareness. Finally, earlier this week, Taipei became the first city in Asia to join the Rainbow Cities Network, a worldwide coalition of cities that promote LGBT-friendly policies. By the way, that Rainbow Street mural is right outside Taipei City Hall. I actually passed by it just as they were finishing it and managed to snap this shot. It felt good knowing that the place where I lived was committed to fostering a friendly environment for all groups of people. Anyway, Taiwan is not letting anything get in the way of LGBT progress. Lawmakers are trying to expand same-sex marriage laws to be more inclusive. But the big story of the week on social media involves Taiwan's army. Since 2014, Taiwan's armed forces have held collective weddings every year to encourage soldiers to help raise Taiwan's fertility rate. In 2019, after same-sex marriage passed, three same-sex couples applied to get married in one of those weddings. But... All three withdrew their registration at the last minute due to social pressure. In 2020, however, two same-sex couples will be getting married at this year's army wedding. Meet Wang Yi and Meng Mei, and Chen Yingxuan and Li Lizhen. The Taiwan Army's Facebook page published photos of couples getting married at its collective wedding planned for October 30th. Netizens were supportive of all the brides and grooms-to-be. However, these two same-sex couples stole the show. Their wedding announcements garnered over 40,000 likes, 2,500 comments, and 1,800 shares. Taiwan's major media outlets picked up the story, and the two couples are all over social media. I think it's important to realize just how significant accomplishments like this are for the LGBT community. Kuang Ting Cheng commented on one of the photos, saying, Not only did you make your presence felt, but you also make our voice heard. So, so proud of you. I mean, I love that. A lot. Here's to Wang Mong Chen and Lee. Here's to all the same-sex couples out there hoping for an equal chance at love. You guys deserve nothing but happiness, and as excited as I am for this LGBT first in Taiwan, well, I just hope that one day we can look at something like this and go, just another wedding. On Saturday, October 31st, Taipei is going to be hosting something rare in a global pandemic. A pride parade. That's right. Now, recently, I caught up with some people who are actually building a float for the pride parade. Have a look. Rainbow-colored chi-pao fabric, kissing unicorns, and people with power tools. A team of workers is creating a fabulous float for the only full-scale pride parade anywhere in the world in the time of coronavirus. It's going up right here in Taipei on October 31st. The name of our float is the Magic Unicorn Float. It's a rainbow unicorn. It's a rainbow unicorn. So the front part will have the unicorn and then a rainbow on the back end. The panels on each side will be cut out of wood, like we did some of the cutting and sawing and yeah. sanding today. And then there will be fabric. We have sequined fabric that will be the body and of the brocade. unicorn. There's brocade. Yeah, so like traditional cheap pal fabric will make the rainbow, like the, the long yeah. rainbow. 
we will also have a smoke machine blowing smoke out of the horn and then we have a bubble machine that will have bubbles coming out out of the rainbow mm-hmm. and so like when i say it's magical it's really going to be magical be so magical and then we have a dj booth where we have four amazing djs from across taiwan that will be performing throughout the parade and then dancers and them like us like we're going to yeah. be there partying it up and having a great time so anyone that is like queer femme person of color or just an ally or who just wants to party with us on saturday come on out yeah. we will be there on the north route so the come north join route. come join us i decided to do this float because i noticed in the previous years that that the pride parade is mostly centered around the gay boys so it was like we need more representation like there's other people out here there's the queer femme there's black and indigenous people of color like so this float is here to represent them like to represent us yeah. and show that we're here and we can live our lives out loud and our colorful lives on a big stage very here colorful. in taiwan yes <laughs> very colorful very colorful <laughs> We're amplifying the voices of the AFAB community, the queer femme community, and, you know, all the non-binary folks. Just everyone that isn't traditionally represented, like, we have a place for you. Yeah. It's been a lot of people helping with this. This this isn't a one-woman project. Like, this took a lot of work and effort like and time. It's a community project, and, definitely. And a lot of our friends have really rallied behind us to be able to do this. So, like, the owners of Mary Jane's pizza bar, Dom and Sean, they're actually building it. They have designed the actual float and the t-shirt logo, too. And then Juju's and Cafe Delita, uh, Uncle Q's vegan restaurant. Oh, he's in on it, too? Yeah, he's yes. in Quizzy. Is he gonna be there? He's, I hope he is. Oh my gosh. Okay, <laughs> I I'm hope so he excited. is. And you I'm know, so like, we have a few others, like uh-huh. Cantina Del Gio mm-hmm. and who else? Uh, Timu. Timu Bar down in Waiau. Like, the expected number for the parade is still at, like, 80,000, and that's from people who are here in Taiwan. And last year, it was a bit bigger because everyone was able to come from yeah. overseas. So people could fly in. Yeah. But this year, because of COVID, it's just, like, local. Yeah, so it's, still expected. so it's really local and 80,000 people. Yeah. So I think we'll still have... a a few hundred joining our float. I think it's really exciting in Taiwan because we have handled the coronavirus so well. We're actually able, like we never had a lockdown. We didn't really go into economic recession. We're actually one of only two countries in the entire world that expected to grow continuously economically. Like as a foreigner, like it's a, it's a big privilege to still be here and to be able to still live my life and live my life safely as a person of color, but also as a queer queer woman like we can live our life and celebrate ourselves we've been celebrating all month actually like the whole, month, the, whole of, month. the whole month of october is pride month here in taiwan but saturday the last saturday of october is our big pride parade and celebrations and parties it's it's gonna be an amazing and crazy day so i'm i can't wait cheers It's time for our lightning round news quiz where I get to ask Leslie and Andrew about the week's news. Are you guys ready? Yeah. So you guys have 60 (laughs) seconds to guess as many questions as you can. You can play along at home if you like. All right, ready, go. Microsoft announced their biggest investment in Taiwan yet. How many digital talents did Microsoft say they would help Taiwan train in their new venture? 200,000. That's right. In a survey released on Sunday, how many percent are willing to fight for Taiwan if China invades? 
The Council of Agriculture has sent reminders to local governments to invalidate their bans on what? Uh, U.S. pork? Water? What uh, specifically? What bacon. kind of Rectopamine, right. Okay. The U.S. Pacific Air Force asked the publication The War Zone to retract what report? Um, wow, these are really this hard. This is really this hard. Um, I don't know. That a U.S. Air Force RC 135W rivet joint spy plane flew over Taipei. Oh. I did hear that. What creatures have been wreaking havoc on agricultural produce in southern Taiwan? Iguanas. That's Whoa. right. And We're one more. Recording. A new bookstore in Kaohsiung was featured on CNN because of what unique feature? Oh, the lights are off? That's right. Wait, what? Yeah. It's all in the dark except for spotlights on the books. Oh, yeah. I thought it was a bookstore for the blind. I hope they don't have bookshelves. So, um, 400 bookshelves, actually. Danger. But Ooh, pretty cool. Danger pretty cool looking. Yeah. <laughs> Be careful. Tread. So, pretty good job, you guys. And uh, that is our news quiz for the week. And finally today, as you can see, Leslie has his own slider, and he's joining us for this. <laughs> our final question, Saturday is Halloween. What are you going to dress up as? Uh, can I just first say I'm thrilled to be part of this? <laughs> um, I'm so glad to have my own thingamabobber, but uh-huh. I'm going to be a runner. Mm. And that's because on November 1st, I have to wake up at 4 a.m. to go for a street run. So I will Ooh. not be in Halloween this year or participating in Halloween oh. this year. And I do love me some Halloween. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, Nellie, what are you going to do? I would with? love to be Wonder Woman, a symbol of girl power. Oh. Yes, well, you are Wonder Woman already. <laughs> and for me, I'm going to be a scared voter. Oh, <laughs> that's too real. <laughs> too, real. too real. That's okay. Sometimes our, our outfits have to be kind of real, right? That's to really right. get the uh, feeling for it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, and if you liked our show, subscribe and leave a comment below. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. RTI is conducting a survey. Visit our website to fill out the questionnaire or simply send us your answers to the following four questions. Question number one, what platform do you use to listen to RTI programs? You can write more than one, but list the most frequent one first. Question number two, which RTI programs are your favorites? Write no more than three programs. Question number three, out of a total of five stars, how many stars would you give RTI's English broadcasts overall? And question number four, what are your suggestions for RTI's English programs? Everybody who enters will have a chance to win a prize. Send your answers to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan, 11199. Or send it via email. Our email address is audience01 at rti.org.tw. That's audience and the numbers 0 and 1 at rti.org.tw. Be sure to leave your name, gender, age, and nationality.
The Overseas Community Affairs Council is encouraging overseas journalists to report on the contributions Taiwanese have made to the world, so that the world can see Taiwan. The OCAC is launching the Chinese Language Journalism Award for Overseas Media. Journalists can compete for two awards. The Print and Digital Report Award and the Broadcast Report Award. Entries that showcase in-depth professional reporting have the chance to win $2,500 U.S. dollars. The deadline is November 30th. Go to www.ocac.gov.tw for details. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Could China attack Taiwan soon? Tensions are high as China has been sending warplanes into Taiwan's airspace at an unprecedented rate. And today, with me to talk about the possibility of a Chinese attack is a top defense expert at the Institute for National Defense and Security Research, Dr. Li Zhechuan. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure, Dr. Li. Do you think that China could attack Taiwan soon?、Um, my answer would be no. The first reason is that、um, the airplane they sent to Taiwan's airspace are not on comeback conditions, and the second one is that、uh, we don't see signs of、uh, massive military deployment or movement, especially in its.、Uh, Southeastern coastal province. So, I don't think there is going to be a war between Taiwan and China. But that depends on your definition of,、uh, I mean, military action. If you are talking about low-intensity conflict or so-called the gray zone conflict across the strait, I don't deny the possibility of that because for that kind of military action, we don't usually see signs beforehand. Because that could happen anytime soon.、Hmm. So, if something like that were to happen, could that lead to an all-out war? I, I I don't think so because I I I don't think the PLA is really ready for the so-called all-out war because we know that if the PLA would like to have a decisive military victory against Taiwan, they need to launch the so-called、um, amphibious assault against Taiwan, but. Expert, even、uh, no matter in in the United States or in Taiwan or even China, they agree that、um, for this part of military operation, I'm talking about amphibious assault. China is not really ready yet, and they don't have any、uh, serious plan、um, to launch that kind of operation against Taiwan. So you mean they're not ready in terms that they don't have the、uh, military hardware or? Not enough. Mean, not、yes. enough. They have some, but、okay. not enough. Experts say that if we can really try to destroy, say, like forty percent of their amphibious landing vehicles,、uh, it would be totally impossible for them to to finish that kind of operation.、Mm. I, I know that Taiwan has a lot of the beaches that、yes. cannot be landed on, right?、Mm-hmm. And, and our typhoons and our waters, waves twenty meters high. It's very difficult to launch an amphibious attack on Taiwan. Yeah, that yeah,、right? that's Taiwan's natural defense advantage, because of、uh, the rock coastline in Taiwan. It is estimated by experts say that、um, we only have fourteen、uh, 
locations which have the beach wide enough to launch personnel against Taiwan, only 14 in Taiwan. And we know that, PLA know that, so we have prepared um, for the kind of scenario or situation. So I don't think it would be easy for the PLA to conduct that kind of operation. But could China force Taiwan to surrender in other ways? For example, uh, bombing, you know, important, you know, air bases or military bases and power bases in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, of course. We don't deny that kind of problem because they can have uh, several basic military options, say, like uh, they can conduct air and maritime blockade against Taiwan, or they can try to launch air and missile um, strike against Taiwan. And uh, plus, they can combine those other military capabilities, such as uh, um, cyber warfare or um, information warfare against Taiwan, or they can launch their some sort of uh, um, anti-ship, anti-surface uh, operation against Taiwan. But the problem is that um, according to what capability PLA have, currently have, they have to do some very serious and careful calculation because if they like to take that kind of operation against Taiwan, it has to be finished in a very short period of time because no matter you choose uh, blockade or airstrike, those operation will influence business in this area and will attract international attention. So if Taiwan can resist um, their uh, first strike and it be becomes uh, a military conflict extended beyond a couple of days, international attention or, or even international intervention will come in, then I think that is the scenario the PRA is worried about mm. because they will incur um, serious uh, risk and costs. So do you think that the U.S. would come to Taiwan's defense if they did attack Taiwan, trying to attack Taiwan? They never say that because that is the so-called strategic ambiguity um, policy for the United States because in the Taiwan Relations Act, it only say that um, U.S. Uh, would take seriously about any non-peaceful means trying to change the status quo of Taiwan. They would provide sufficient defensive weapons to Taiwan, but they never said that uh, they would come to Taiwan help militarily or not. We don't really know. And uh, we also know that um, in the Trump administration, it has been done a lot. They passed a lot of uh, resolution, favorable. I mean, to Taiwan, and um, they conduct military sales to Taiwan. Very different from previous year, because uh, now they do it in a kind of uh, regular basis, like the, what they did to other countries. It's no more the, the pattern of uh, package sale in earlier administration. So what I'm trying to say that is that um, uh, after Xi Jinping came in, and uh, Chinese uh, foreign policy or military uh, revolution, all of its uh, external behavior becomes more and more assertive. And that is why some US officials 
told the media that in the Trump administration, they are talking about, discussing about the future of uh, strategic ambiguity, which means maybe it's about time to change it into strategic clarity. Yeah, there's actually a Taiwan Defense Act proposed in the U.S. Congress, so um, where the U.S. would prevent China from taking over Taiwan. Now, what do you think about Trump versus Biden? Do you think there would be a big difference in their policy towards Taiwan? If we are talking about short-term policy, no matter Trump or Biden win the election, I think there won't be too much differences between the two presidents. But um, if we are talking about um, longer-term policy, it could be very different, I mean, between the two. Um, because the first of all is that um, there are very, very strong bipartisan consensus in the United States, no matter from uh, Republican or Democrats. They all agree that China is really doing too much. We have tried to do something, for example, call for the international communities, for the democratic country to form a coalition trying to counter Chinese behavior. So that is the reason why I think in the short term, even Biden, he would follow the current consensus uh, in the United States. But for the longer term, we know that Biden is a traditional politician. And uh, according to his record, he may well to treat China in a different way. For example, um, the Democrat tends to have some kind of uh, collaboration with China on issues such as uh, climate change or human rights, which means uh, in the longer term, maybe he, he will try to treat China, I mean, not that directly like Trump, Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah, is doing. That also depends on his uh, uh, high-ranking circles, mm. uh, who will be his top aides. Mm-hmm. Uh, until then, we can know more about his uh, policy towards China or Taiwan. So I'm still concerned about China, though. Why are they sending planes, you know, into Taiwan's air defense zone? And we just saw this week 100 boats surrounding Mazu. Why are they making all these military moves at such an unprecedented rate? There could be several reasons. First of all, politically, China tried to express its anger about better and closer relations between U.S. and Taiwan. And um, after a lot of uh, arms sales, after a lot of uh, resolution passed, we see the United States send high-ranking official to Taiwan in August, health minister, and in September, the undersecretary of state. China, we noticed that um, right after um, the health minister left, the next day they announced they are going to have a series of uh, military exercise and drills. Right in the duration of uh, U.S. Uh, Undersecretary's visit, China sent 18 and 19 aircraft yeah, to this area because they are angry. Yeah. That's it. The second reason militarily could be that um, China tried to demonstrate its, uh, its capability of A2AD, which means anti-access and area denial. We can judge that from the plan 
they sent to this area, for example, J10, J11, or Y8, and some other anti-submarine plan, which means China tried to tell Taiwan and the United States that we are now equipped it with longer range operation capability, and we have anti-surface, we have uh, anti-submarine capabilities, you better be watch out. So you think they're trying to keep us in line, keep Taiwan and the U.S. in line? Yes. What do you think would provoke a war with China? Frankly speaking, I don't think there is going to have a war unless something unexpected happened. I mean, I'm talking about some incidents. Other than that, I think... You mean um, accidents? Yeah, something you never expect. For example, some airplane crash, Mm -hmm, collides, mm -hmm. something like that. Other than that, I think uh, President Tsai is uh, a very low profile. She's uh, very rational. And uh, China also knows that um, they are not really that capable Mm -hmm. um, to conquer Taiwan within a short period of time. So I don't think a war is going to happen. Not soon. No. So you're not worried. You're not, you're not staying up at night about this. <laughs> yeah, but we keep very close uh, attention close to that. And uh-huh. uh, I think our people in uniform, they also uh, are very careful. They keep themselves on alert every day mm-hmm. in a very agile way mm-hmm. to deal with uh, any invasion or incursion of uh, PLA plan. So, Dr. Lee, it's been wonderful talking to you and hearing your perspective on what's been going on across the strait, all the military maneuvers from China. I've been speaking with top defense expert Dr. Lee Zotren, who is at the Institute for National Defense and Security Research in Taipei. Taiwan, a small island with a whole world of sounds. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Welcome to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is 
John Van Trieste. And the destination. 1908. At 109 years old, the National Taiwan Museum is Taiwan's oldest museum and one of its most venerable cultural institutions. Since 1908, the museum has been a center of natural history, anthropology, geology, and other fields of study in Taiwan. Its current home, completed in 1915, was one of the chief landmarks of Taipei under Japanese colonial rule. It was built to impress, and especially after an extensive restoration project finished in November, it still does. But while the museum's core mission of showcasing Taiwan's people and nature has never changed, its precise aims and the means it uses to showcase Taiwan have. As the museum celebrates its reopening, I'm speaking with assistant museum researcher Lin Yihong about the museum's past and about its plans for the future. In 1908, when the museum was founded, Taiwan had been under Japanese colonial rule for 13 years. The museum began as a colonial project called the Taiwan Viceroy's Office Museum. The original museum building was built to be grand, but in 1915, the museum was moved into an even grander home, an imposing Western-style building complete with classical columns, ornamental light fixtures, and a high dome. This new building had originally been intended to serve as a joint memorial to an early colonial governor and a high administrator. But in the end, the building seemed better suited to the museum's purposes. Mr. Lin says these purposes were twofold. To a colonized Taiwanese audience, he says, the museum was meant to be a monument to ideas like enlightenment that the colonizers imagined themselves to have brought to the island. The building was also part of a plan to turn Taipei into what the colonizers believed a modern city should look like. To the outside world, meanwhile, the museum was meant to project a positive image of Taiwan under colonial rule. As Taiwan was surveyed, objects both natural and man-made were gathered from across the island and proudly put in display cases. Trade and industry, as much as artifacts and specimens, were on display in the museum's early days. This was because Taiwan's commercial development and readiness to trade under colonial rule was another point the colonial government hoped to stress. Camphor, tea, and mining were just some of the industries highlighted in displays. These projects were taken seriously, and as if to underscore this seriousness, the builders of the museum's new home spared no expense or trouble when it came to building materials and design. Taiwan Cypress, prized for its fragrant smell, was brought in for the doors, windows, and staircases. Marble was imported from Japan, and local marble and slate make an appearance too, forming the checkered black and white squares on the floor of the second story. The interior decoration was lavish as well. If you look carefully, you can find examples of Taiwan's tropical produce, bananas, pineapples, and so on, protruding from the walls. These were exotic symbols of the colony in the Japanese imagination at the time. 
the museum moved into these luxurious surroundings, and here it has stayed ever since. The building that had first housed the museum in 1908 was destroyed in an American air raid during World War II. The use of space in the museum has varied over its long history. In addition to industrial displays, the Japanese period saw the remaining display areas split up strictly by discipline. Rocks in the geology section, plants in the botany section, and so forth. A bit unlike the cross-disciplinary exhibits we sometimes see today. Then, in 1945, with the end of World War II, 50 years of Japanese rule on Taiwan ended. The Republic of China government that followed renamed the building the Taiwan Provincial Museum, and the museum's new management shifted things around in its own way. Mr. Lin says this new government, too, used the museum for trade purposes, specifically trade shows, at a time before Taipei had specially built exhibition centers to hold them. But while the self-congratulatory tone of the colonial period was gone, the museum's use for political aims continued during this period. Mr. Lin says that after the Chinese Civil War, with the Republic of China's retreat to Taiwan, the museum sometimes hosted displays centered on the government's dream of one day retaking the mainland. Finally, during the post-war years, there were sometimes art exhibitions here. Since Taiwan's first moves towards democracy in the 1980s, the museum has changed yet again. It was renamed the National Taiwan Museum in 1998, and that same year, it became a national historic site. Mr. Lin says among the changes of the last few decades is a greater focus on the museum building itself as a piece of cultural heritage. There is also a respect for diversity and the equality of different ethnic groups, a departure from the mindset of colonial anthropology. Finally, Mr. Lin says, alongside these changes in attitude, the museum is also working harder than ever to make its exhibits lively and engaging to the public. The museum building has physically changed too. There have been several additions and repairs over the years. Earthquake damage was repaired in 2003, for instance and the roof and outer walls were fixed in 2015. This year, workers turned their attention to the interior of the museum. Mr. Lin says the goal was not to recreate the original look down to the last detail. Instead, the restoration team hoped to fix signs of aging while also leaving intact the traces hinting at the building's different uses over time and of past repairs. This latest repair project posed three big problems for the restoration team. First, there was the matter of gypsum, a material used as a substitute for marble. With the addition of some colored dyes, it can have all the flecks and swirls that people admire in real marble. However, no one was at first quite sure how workers a century ago had achieved this effect. Whatever techniques they had used were lost, and no one in Taiwan could replicate them. Finally, research revealed that rather than splashing the surface with paint, workers had mixed dyes into the gypsum while wet, rolling it like dough until the colors diffused through the mixture. 
Even with this difficulty solved, though, workers quickly found out that their predecessors had had to work fast, and they only figured out the right proportion of dyes to add through trial and error. Secondly, water damage pulling wall stucco from the walls also had to be fixed, using methods that are still known, but not like those common today. And finally, years of painting over and altering the delicate wall decorations had to be carefully undone, revealing their original forms. With these difficult tasks now accomplished and the museum reopened, curators expect a busy schedule of changes that will be rolled out over around three years. Already, the long-closed third floor has now reopened with a new permanent exhibit telling the story of natural history and anthropology in Taiwan. Later, a children's exhibit is planned for the basement, and the old permanent exhibits about Taiwan's people, plants, and animals are all set for an update and a makeover. The museum is also working to forge more local ties across Taiwan, with work expected to include displays of indigenous objects from the museum in the same areas where they originally came from. Lastly, the museum plans to open its latest branch, a Taiwan Railroad Museum, as well. As it approaches 110 years since its founding, the National Taiwan Museum is reinventing itself for our time. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another Journey Through Time. Now, in the last month or so, we've seen a huge uptick in the number of Chinese jet planes crossing into Taiwan's airspace. That's right. And this past weekend, we also saw 100 Chinese boats surround a Taiwanese island for the first time. It looks like we're surrounded. Those are the words of a man who watches as more than 100 Chinese boats gather in waters near the Taiwanese islands of Mazu. Taiwan's Coast Guard tells the ships that they've entered restricted waters and orders them to disperse. These ships began to gather in the early hours of Sunday morning between the islands of Nangan and Zhuguang. The Coast Guard informs the ships that they will use water cannons to drive them away. But on Monday, Premier Su Zhentang tells residents of Taiwan's outlying islands not to worry. The government will leave no stone unturned when it comes to protecting Taiwan's territory, he says. From the beginning of 2019 through the end of this September, Taiwan confiscated six Chinese boats and auctioned them off for 5.2 million U.S. dollars, slapping the owners with $245,000 in fines. The government says it will strengthen maritime patrols and apprehend boats illegally entering Taiwan's waters. All this military activity has a lot of media talking about the possibility of war. Is China getting ready to invade Taiwan? It's a great question. And in fact, you asked that of a defense expert, Dr. Li Zhechen, who is from the Institute for National Defense and Security Research. Let's have a look at what he had to say. Dr. Li, do you think that China could attack Taiwan soon? Um, My answer would be no. The first reason is that the airplane they sent to Taiwan's airspace are not on comeback conditions. And the second one is that uh, we don't see signs of uh, massive military uh, 
deployment of movement, especially in its uh, southeastern coast, I don't think the PLA is really ready for the so-called all-out war because we know that if the PLA would like to have a very uh, decisive military victory against Taiwan, they need to launch the so-called um, amphibious assault against Taiwan. But experts in the United States, Taiwan, or even China, they agree that um, for the amphibious assault, China is not really ready yet, and they don't have any serious plan to launch that kind of operation against Taiwan. So you mean they're not ready in terms that they don't have the uh, military hardware or... Not enough. Not enough. They have some, but not enough. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.